Each episode, we bring you B2B leaders to learn about their successes, fouls, and what's working for them in the market. If you enjoy the show, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify and share this podcast with a friend. That's enough from me. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with X-Growth, and today I'm talking to Alex Colvin, CEO at Pendula, about why marketers should stop looking at NPS as the holy grail of metrics when it comes to customer retention and what to do instead. On that note, let's dive in. Alex, thanks for joining me on the pod. Great to be here. (laughs) <laughs> all right i mean we're talking nps nps has has become the number one metric that is going to solve everything your nps number is your identity is mm. who you are to some degree what i want to explore together is the first thing that i want to explore is what are the challenges with just looking at NPS numbers, in your opinion, the the core focus that I always really encourage our team to to, to think about whenever we're looking at you know, solving some of our customers' problems, and you know, we're always focused on on one thing, and it's retention. Right? It's really well related to what NPS was, you know, really designed for in, in the first instance, and that is to understand. You know, you've got a customer base of you know X thousand customers. And some of them are, are walking out the door every month. And it's trying to understand, well, who's going to do that and why are they doing it? Now, N- NPS is a is certainly not something that should be dismissed. It's a, it's a fantastic kind of leading indicator of, of what can happen. You know, the same way that weather forecasters will, will go and tell you that it's about to rain, it doesn't always mean that it is going to rain. It can give you some good indication, but the other aspects that really sit around it is what the result is. And you know, there's, there's no better way of looking at this than saying, well, what is NPS trying to do? Effectively, what it's trying to do is it's trying to give you an indication where you're going to lose customers or gain new customers as a result of customers churning or customers referring new customers to come and join your business. Now, the failing in that uh, being a single point of reference is that it doesn't give you the full picture of of what is happening, right? You know, there, there's a lot of reasons why someone could could leave a, a business. Could be anything from personal circumstance to a competitor having a better offer out in the market to a, a poor customer experience. And ultimately, the challenge that you have is that you'll find yourself thinking about, well, how do I gear my engine towards making one stat better? I mean, I say this time and time again, where you'll have a marketer saying, if you can improve my NPS score by X points, and I'm going to look like a hero. And the reality is, and you know, I, I always focus on every single ROI that we create. It all comes down to one thing, which is it's kind of lost, but a really simple concept is, is your business going to make more or less money than it did the day before? That's a pretty simple concept, right? We, we're, we're all here to have a, a great time and still have purpose. But ultimately, these collections of people that we're creating into companies are, are here to to turn a profit. Or, you know, obviously there, there is other streams which are less focused on that, but the majority of us, particularly I'm sure your audience, is focused on being able to market and increase the the profitability of a business. Now, if we think about that in it in its core setup, we need to step back into kind of some of the core maths that that sit underneath that. Now the first concept is why is retention really good? The interesting thing is that retention and acquisition are really closely tied. 
And that, that, that is what NPS is trying to do. What it's trying to say is if you've got a customer and they're going to refer another customer, your cost of acquisition is going to go down. Right, so that, that, that's a, a big tick. The thing that it fails to demonstrate, though, is how much a customer is going to cost a serve to offboard if they don't stay. Now, if you blend in that aspect to the equation, you start to, to, to miss a, a few key principles. And that is, well, what's happening at those leading moments that could lead to a churn? You know, just because you're, you're saying that you might refer someone at the point of purchasing a, a service or at the end of a really positive phone call doesn't mean that you've been unhappy at lots of other points in the journey. Stepping back starts to create a much broader picture. We're starting to sit here and saying, well, whilst our customer A may, may have been willing to recommend us to their friend a month ago, uh, the fact that our service got cut off for a day for a technical problem two days ago could have completely changed the view of that customer to the point that they're willing to churn, right? You know, that, that it can change that quickly as, as a result on that. And this is kind of where the problem of MPS lies. It'll give you a great guide of the health of your customer base, but it won't actually give you a very good guide of ultimately the most important metric here, which is your customer lifetime value equation. And then that is the direct correlation to your revenue that's sitting through there. Uh, no better analogy, and I, I think we spoke through this last time, much more morbid uh, example, but we look at the uh, Space Shuttle Columbia disaster. They had the same fallacy. that They, they took all these data points. We've just launched a, a Space Shuttle into space, and we've had... You know, there's been some damage to, to the outside of the ship and all the engineers did what they do best. They collate millions of data points. And then what happens is they need to synthesize, they synthesize again and they summarize and they summarize to the point where effectively the action is summarized on a PowerPoint presentation. We're doing the same thing as marketers here. We're, we're, we're taking all this data and summarizing and summarizing and summarizing to the point where we're saying this is the answer. This tells me that my customer base is healthy. And what we're doing is we're missing some key things because we're not summarizing, we're actually ignoring some of the key data points. And there's probably no better way to put that. If you want to look at why customer lifetime value is a better metric, it's simple, it's because it reflects how much money you're making or not. And back solving what impacts that, it's not just one thing, it's multiple things. So how do you change the view here? The best way to view it is have NPS as a guide in how you are correlating change on your lifetime value. If you can do that, what you're actually doing is you're back solving your leading indicator to the end result and trending how that could shift. There, there lies the answer. I love that. Right? It's, it's, it's simple. I love it's that. Tie your, tie your uh, support to your revenue and uh, you'll have a, a much better view of your customer health. Okay. I want to I expand on that. First of all, I think that analogy was so good. And, and I think it's Einstein says, you know, you have to, I'm paraphrasing and probably butchering it, but you have to <laughs> simplify everything as much as possible, but not simpler. And, uh, you know, make sure you, you do, do this, simplify it, but be, be wary of how far you're going to go down that path. Mm. And I, that, I, I love that analogy that you kind of talked about there. I, I, I kind of feel like that has happened in the financial sector as well, where, you know, at one point, uh, the the common belief was that the share price reflects everything about the business, uh, of what that business is doing and how mm. it's how it's doing. And that one number indicates everything. And then, you know, there was the Schiller kind of uh, noble price that says, no, nah, that's not the case. And that that one number does not reflect uh, and, it, and it misses a lot of things. So I, I love the fact that, you know, we're, we're, there's those 
there are those close analogies there and and it sounds like NPS is, is a little bit like that so now I want to I want to unpack what you just mentioned before mm. right tell me a little bit about that last piece where you were talking about the connection of NPS to profit and using NPS to kind of show the lifetime value of a customer how is your approach to retention different than how other businesses or marketers kind of look at retention. Mm. How do you approach it? The, the key thing to consider here, and, and this is something that we've learned many times over on our journey, particularly, and, and you know, the, the best place to look at this is in highly competitive industries. A great example of this is telco. Effectively, that industry has got to the point where everyone is selling the same product. It's not a lot of differentiation, so much so that the differentiation that a lot of these businesses are trying to provide has nothing to do with the core service that they're actually providing. Now, when you talk about retention, the easiest way to think about this is you're a business that has these customers, right? You've got, I don't know, a million customers sitting in your house today. Now, tomorrow, for some reason, if your churn rate is 2%, 20,000 people have walked out the door in a month. And you're sitting there and saying, well, hold on, we had a million customers, now we've got 20,000 left the next day. Why did that happen? You know, how, do, how do we figure out how did it stop that? Because you know, not only do we have to replace the 20,000 we've, we've just lost, we've then got to pay to find them. And our net result is we're in the same position we were last month. So, so the, the, the key thing about retention is it, it begins in a really simple in a really, really simple concept, which is why are your customers leaving, right? It's, it's, and that, that is a blend of, of two things. It's not only why are they leaving, but why are they staying, right? Now, our approach is really simple and, you know, we, we, we've, we always laugh and we, 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 uh, we hear some of the very complex and, you know, very scientific ways that people are, are trying to correlate data together to try and figure out why these customers are leaving and, you know, throwing effectively super, super computer power at trying to, diagnose through data why someone doesn't like you. Um, Regression and this, analysis and, and all yeah, this build, stuff, build right? curves and uh, yep. Bring in the cohorts as well and, you know, tr try and sub-segment by that to get even more specific. Where well, they just miss one simple thing, you know, how do you ensure that a customer stays? It's very similar how you ensure your friends stay in your own life, right? It's recognizing them. It's, it's, uh, it's, establishing that exchange of value, which is, you know, one core thing here is the feedback, right? It's how do you recognize someone? It's really simple. It's you ask them a question and listen to what they're saying. Now, our whole platform's based on this. Our big discovery was that, you know, particularly if you look at upselling campaigns, if on a digital channel, something like SMS, if you ask someone a question first about how their service is or just how they are and, you know, create a non-threatening question, and then after that, ask them to upgrade or renew, whatever it would be. And, you know, it's important that you get the timing right. You don't want to do it in the middle of an outage. You probably want to wait for a positive event before you go and do this. But if you do that, you'll get about five times the amount of people responding. And as a result on that, your conversion rates are going to be like 20, 22%. Now, there's one core reason behind this, and it's a psych psychological thing. All of us consumers are sitting here and businesses don't act like people. They act like a business. And they broadcast and they tell people why they're great. You know, it's, a, it's effectively sitting in a bar and yelling at everyone about how great a person you are without actually listening to anything that anyone says. You're not going to be going out with many friends at the end of the night. Now, if you can change that dynamic and you can do it in a scale where you're, you know, your cost to serve doesn't skyrocket and you know, absolutely go through the roof, 
then you'll find yourself in a place where your retention strategy actually isn't about how much people value the service. It's actually about how much you value your customer and how much you listen to what they want. And ultimately, what that translates into is a something that a lot of companies miss, we're not transacting with our consumers, we're having a relationship with them. And you know, the, the secret sauce isn't that secret. This is, this is kind of the, the, the big question that I always ask a lot of marketers that we sell to. And that is, well, it's great you've spent all this time analyzing this data, but have you actually asked the customers what they want? And most of the time is, oh yeah, we've surveys that surveyed them. And you know, you, you'll very quickly find out the survey is being done through a technology that requires someone to log into a portal or, or something like that or click on an email and the, the click-through is 2 or 3%. And you're sitting there saying, well, hold on, you've, you've asked 2% of your customer base what they want and you're just assuming that the other 98% of them want to do the same thing. You need to solve that problem first. And that, that, that's, I guess, the, the key principle to our approach to retention. Yes, the end result is more customers staying as your customers and more customers spending more. But in effect, mechanically, what you're doing is you're you're focusing and driving all of your energy on creating a, a feedback loop with the customer that recognizes that you care who they are and what they want. Now, if you can start with that foundation, there's lots of blue space above that you can move. But until you get that right, you're just going to find yourself in a place where you're effectively just throwing stones in the dark and hoping you're going to hit something. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, that's it, it's great to kind of break that down to to look at the alternatives of um, of NPS, which is really a, uh, a more direct approach to the customer and getting feedback from the customer. Mm. And uh, and it's it's funny, we had that experience. We, we're not, you know, from our agency side, it's not like we have massive number of clients, but one of the initiatives that we had was, okay, we want to put up, put up an NPS system to kind of gauge how our customer's doing. And we had this thing for, we were doing kind of research in terms of how other people are doing it, how we should do it. And we do that, did that for two months. And at the end of two months, we came back and we said, we don't need an NPS system. Mm-hmm. We, we need to get that feedback and have our ears to the ground in our communications with our customers and, and really capture that. Maybe there is a bit of a system, but it's not an NPS system. And for us, it was kind of going the 180 degree the other way of not using an NPS and, and, and knowing that that's not valuable for us. Now, that's different business models are, are, are different and, and that applies differently. I'm not saying that NPS is not useful, but it's just amazing to hear um, your, your take and your approach that having a more solid focus on getting customer feedback is really important. One of the things I want to I want to dive in is one of the core pillars that you follow when it comes to retention. Mm-hmm. You call it moments of truth. What is that? Look, if you if you if you think back from these base principles, right? You know, what does our journey always begin when we buy a service for the first time? Nine times out of ten, it's going to be a pretty positive one, and that first moment you have with a business is always going to be really positive, and it's unlikely that. The second someone gives you their credit card details or you know signs that that purchase order, whatever it would be, that at that point there are any concept of off-flight risk. But there are lots of moments that happen between that point and at the point at which that customer no longer is your customer. And these are all those, as we refer to as moments of truth that that happen. Now it could be a positive experience, it could be a negative experience. But the the key thing is that at each one of these points, you're having an emotional response with your customer where your relationship is being tested in either a positive or negative way. 
Now, for those who are able to identify what these points are, which it doesn't take a lot of time or effort to actually figure this out, it's, it's quite obvious. If you have an outage, that's probably a negative experience. If yes. someone has just paid a bill, it's probably negative as well. If they've just gone and used the product more than they ever have or some type of environmental reason has made your product that much more valuable to them, it's probably a positive experience. If we can balance these and we can use these as the launch points for either the ability to start getting more feedback and recognizing that someone's there or using it as an opportunity to upsell or renew someone, you're going to be so much more effective. Great example, a large telecommunication customer of ours, their, their, their CEO came to us and, and said, we know who our customers are, but they don't know who we are. We've got to, we've got to tell them about us. We've got to get our culture out there. And something that's really important to us are big moments in life, right? Whenever someone in our team has, you know, their birthday or they have a, a baby or they get married, whatever it is, it's a big news event for us. Now, whilst we don't know all that detail about all of our customers, we do know a few of them. And some of the moments that mattered to them, which is a, I love this story, is celebrating the moments in that person's own life that were relevant to their business and reflected their culture, like birthdays. This telco made a, a big deal of it. They were giving you free data. They were, you know, sending you, you know, big congrats. They had, you know, it, it, some really cool campaigns where they had, uh, you know, to some customers, massive cakes being sent out to them because it was embedded in their culture as part of that. And that that was a, a really good example of a moment that was happening that the truth about their relationship that they had with their customer was revealed. And this is something that that we really drive on is that you have all these interactions that are going to equate at the end of the day to either an upsell or a churn. If we go back to our base principle here that we're trying to make money, we want to reduce the churn and increase the uh, the up, upselling that, that happens or the cross-selling depending on the product catalogs that we have access to in our businesses. We then use these moments as an opportunity to create that positive narrative in that person's head to make sure they're taking the part that is most beneficial to us on the, on our own P&Ls. And th that's the key takeaway. Now, a thing that we've done and, you know, we, we've now you know, communicated with, with pretty much 80% of the Australian population in some way or form through our customer base. There's millions of, of retention-based communications flying out all over the world from the Pendulum platform on a monthly basis now. And the thing that we've really been able to nail onto is is the commonalities between these moments that matter, and something that we, we've been really you know, focused on and, and put a lot of depth of research into is is to not just have a software tool that can enable retention, but also have the playbook. And our whole playbook is based on these moments that you know really define the truth of the relationship between that customer and that business, but creating them in a way that they're reusable. And, you know, a, a birthday is not something that someone owns, right? You know, if you are a telco and an energy provider, hey, you should both be celebrating it. And I'm sure that consumer would be more than happy to be receiving that love. Now, the difference is the ones that are doing it are getting that love. They're getting that positive review. The ones that are not are missing that opportunity. Same thing happens on the negative inverse, but it's just so much more important you recognize it. If you have an outage and you just stay silent, there's nothing worse than, uh, than not recognizing that and trying to mitigate that negative experience. But... Now, this is the foundation of 
each activity that you do to drive ultimately to your goal that you're trying to achieve, which is to reduce your churn or increase your ARPU. Got it. Got it. I love it. I, uh, I, I really like that, uh, that example as well of like creating these moments of truth and, uh, and at least the positive ones, uh, if you can't avoid to get rid of the negative ones. Mm. Alex, tell me a little bit about metrics. You know, what are some of the, some of the, I mean, MPS we talked about, it's, it's definitely valuable, but there are other things to look at. What are some of the core metrics you follow and track when it comes to retention? There's, there's two core ratios that, that are, you know, gospel when it comes to retention. The first one is your customer lifetime value. It's such a simple equation, right? It's how much are your customers spending, you know, over how long they've been a customer. It's just so pure, right? It, it, it brings in every aspect to the cash that the customer is, the pain that the customer is experiencing of giving you money, which no customer ever wants to do if they can avoid it, and the duration they're staying with you. So it, it is just such a perfect view. The second one is a high level view, but a really important metric. And this is your net rate of retention or your NRR score. This is something that is you know, front and center. If you look at high growth software businesses, the, the two numbers that matter are revenue growth and net rate of retention or your NRR score. A few other acronyms that effectively mean the same thing. But what we're effectively saying is you have a customer today, tomorrow, what is that customer going to be worth? If your ratio is greater than one, happy days, you're starting every month with more revenue in your pocket because you have predictable um, income coming in. And the reason why the NRR aspect is is such a great view is particularly when it's lent hand in hand to your customer lifetime value ratio is that it gives you an indication on your consumer's ability to give you more of their finite wallet share. And and that is such a such a strong indicator of value in your service and value in your experience. Because if a customer is giving more of their finite amount of resource, you know, their, their salary every month, it's showing they're sticking around. Now, they're the foundation. They're the, metri- the metrics that matter. MPS on top of all of that is still relevant, but it's only a guide. And if you track those three metrics wholly over a long enough duration, you know, depending on your, your, your own customer cycles, you'll be able to predict the impact that each one has on the other. And ultimately what that will do, it will change your business's mindset as to what gear you're in. And it's fantastic. There's only two gears you can be in. You're either in an acquisition mode or retention mode. We're still yet to find any company out there that's able to do both to the full extent. There's always one that is a priority. If you have those three metrics measured, that is enough for you to go to your CEO or your board, you know, whoever you're, whoever's setting your ultimate budget to say, this is what our plan should be. And it's going to make everyone a better, better person in their careers and will make a lot more CEOs out of, uh, of, of people in their roles because they'll start to think about the things that matter in a business. And that is ultimately, where should my focus go that I will have the largest impact? And without those telling signs, you'll never know. Got it. I love it. I love it. Those, uh, that's, that's the LTV and NRR in addition to, uh, NPS. That's, uh, I mean, if anyone's tired of, uh, acronyms, sorry about that, but you've got to uh, lay them on, right? Yeah. Just got, uh, just make sure you write them down. It's time to make accountants out of marketers. That, that, that's, uh, that's that's so important. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Alex, last question that I want to ask you is about the trends that you're seeing. Mm -hmm. 
what do you think is customer retention space is going to evolve into? What what is what is coming and what's in, in on the horizon uh, for 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 this space? I always like the mentality of thinking about this from a cause and effect perspective. If we look at what would one predict was going to happen five years ago that has eventuated today and then think about what the role and effects of that will be. So effectively what happened five years ago is the world started to subscribe itself. Right? Every business was shifting its commercial models to one where you would create an ongoing relationship with its customers. Yeah. Layman's terms were subscriptionizing our products and you know, there's, there's plenty of plenty of businesses that have, that have made substantial shifts in, in their operating models to enable that. And it's still happening today. I mean, you can see it even with the most transactional things you can think of, like takeaway food, you'll get a pop-up on your Uber Eats app saying, do you want to become a member for $5 a month? You know, just, just it is everywhere. Now, the, the downstream trend that will be affected by that, and this is a really key thing, what ultimately is happening is transactional businesses are now becoming more and more subscription orientated. And as a result on that, the relationship that you have with your customers is drastically changing uh, in two ways. The, the first way is, is something that needs to be managed. And this is really going to be the challenge of the marketer in you know the next five to 10 years. And that is the constant reinforcement of value. Because a customer is now finding itself in a place where it is seeing a financial impact to its own bank account every month that it's paying for these subscription services, the value needs to be reiterated again and again and again and again. So a consumer isn't looking at their bank statement one month and saying, wow, am I, am I still getting value from that service? Maybe I'm not. I'll just cancel it. That translates back to really where our business has a lot of focus. And that is that first step that we spoke about earlier of Feedback loops enable you to tweak your product, tweak your service to ensure value is delivered. It also gives you the forum to establish value by playing it back. And just like a lot of the uh, you know the old marketing views of you had to get six impressions before you'd get a purchase, it's still relevant, but just in a different view. You're, you're going to be so focused on establishing value with your customers and reiterating that value with your customers that it's going to be the constant push of the marketer to ensure that they are able to find opportunities or moments that will enable them to establish that value. And that ultimately is going to translate to a place where you know, effectively you know, CEOs of the new world will be thinking about the impact of this subscription model to their business. And they're going to be saying, if I nail retention, it will lower my costs to acquire. And the reason it will lower my costs to acquire is because more customers will refer new customers. I won't need these hugely expensive outbound marketing campaigns to facilitate the same growth that I had previously. And secondly, you'll have less customers to replace. That layered on then with just broadly the cost to serve a disgruntled customer is going to have leaders of businesses effectively trying to find ways to keep a relationship with their customers where they are never forgetting the value. So if I'm to summarize that at a high level, the trend that that will enter, particularly in the world of marketing in the next five to, to 10 years, will be value reinforcement. And that term will, will become very pre prevalent as, as time goes on. Um, and it's an impact of what's happened over the last five and 10 years, which is this commercial 
model change and the change in relationship between a customer and and its businesses that are supplying its services or products. Value reinforcement. I love that. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> that is, uh, I, I, I love it. I love it. And, and it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, everybody's going towards subscription. I mean, most. I think that the most recent and biggest announcement was CNN. Mm. CNN's gone subscription. There's conversations about Twitter going on a subscription model. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's value reinforcement of your subscription model is going to be key. And uh, that's, that's so fascinating to, to think about. And, and it's kind of not, not, I feel like it's not anymore about what's next in retention. It's really what's next in the SaaS economy. Uh, in the software economy where it's, you know, yep, we, we went from one-off transactions to a more uh, regular subscription model. And now the next phase is going to be re- value reinforcement. Mm. So you, you don't lose them because now everybody's on, on SaaS and, and uh, that space is saturated. So you need to really make sure, figure out a way to retain that. I love that. That's awesome. Okay. Now, I want to ask you, Alex, a couple of uh, rapid-fire questions before we wrap up. You, uh, you okay, ready for sure. that? Let's, uh, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. All right, the first question I got is, what is one resource? It could be a book, a blog, a podcast, a talk, whatever it is, that has fundamentally changed the way you work or live or your outlook towards, uh, towards life? Uh, having a CFO. <laughs> having a CFO <laughs> is that is that because of all the you know the visibility in the business and and what what that brings to the table is that oh, I mean it, it, they 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 just change what a CFO does is it enables you to understand how best you can allocate your resources every business is just a massive opportunity cost equation they uncover what those opportunities are and allow you to make the decision on what what things you won't do and what things you will do. And hopefully you're picking the things that'll do the best thing for you. Got it. That, that by far is the best resource and, and person that, 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 I've, that, that I rely on, you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. That's awesome. That's awesome. Any, any recommendation for books or, you know, anything that you've come across that you, you, you've, it's been, you know, had a big impact? Particularly for those who manage people and who are growing their own businesses, there's a book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. It's uh, Horowitz uh, wrote it. It's, um, it teaches you how to tell people hard things and, and get people to do things that may not seem like they have a very high likelihood of, of coming off. S- such an important life lesson to be able to you know, deploy out in your own life and you know, great, some great lessons in that. I love that book. There's just so many good things um, in, in that book and, uh, and so many golden nuggets. Thank you for that. All right. Question number two. If you could give one advice to marketers, what would that be? Understand financial statements and the impact that you're going to have on them. You'll get so much more budget. You'll get so much more backing. Understanding the mechanics of a business is so important. A, th- a thing that I come across so common is that marketers are so focused on what the customer wants and are actually always fo- they they sometimes forget about what the business needs and uh, mm. are shocked sometimes when when uh, they're not resourced as well as they they think that they should be. So communication is key, and understanding why, understanding how, and understanding the effect of of doing the why and how is is going to make a better marketer of everyone. Question number three: Who are some of the influencers that you follow? I'm actually not big on following in influencers. 
One thing that that we do that I do do, and this is something that that has been in, invaluable, is building relationships with with people who are in similar journeys as yourself and trying mm. to help solve that. And, and it is fascinating. One thing that I did experience when creating our business was how you would line up with so many other businesses in a similar size cohort um, to yours, but doing so many different things and. and what, what what that has done is, is is enabled you know learnings on on things that we haven't had to then experience. We can see how others have done it. Want to internationalize a business? Go and talk to someone who's gone and done it. You know you're going to go and and uh, you know hire a you know an entirely new sales team. Go and speak to someone else who's done that. You want to hire a, a strategist into your business? Talk to someone else who's done it. Th- that that seems to be the the best point for that. The reason I don't see as much value in influencers is ultimately the tactical point in which you are on in your journey, whilst it's really nice to have a north star and a guiding star, people will only ever be able to relate to where you're at if they're in a similar position. It's really difficult to go and talk to someone who is top of industry or a veteran of industry and then ask them how would they do it. The reality is, is what you're going through is probably changed so much by the time that you're going through it than compared to when that influencer went through it. The other view that I have as well is that it is far too easy to become an influencer these days. Humbleness is, uh, is rare. And uh, as a result on that, the, the way that you can differentiate and, and, and grow a business faster than others is to operate on information that is not available to everyone. At, at the end of the day, what we're entering right now is an information war. And if you can access more bespoke, more valuable information, then you should outperform your peers who have the same information as everyone else. Uh, are, are there certain circles that you're part of? Um, it, you know, the, this, this, you talk about this network of people that you kind of mm. talk to. Is that through kind of organic or you've, you've made some strategic decisions to become part of certain groups and certain communities or it's just been really organic? I, I wish I was, uh, I wish I had the foresight to, to, to go and purposely put myself in the situation that we would have gotten that. But, but I mean, honestly, it is all organic. As, as you go through each phase, the, the groups get bigger and bigger. You get a business to a point where you're funded through a venture capitalist. They have multiple businesses that are through the same journey. You, you know, do an event. You, it, it just organically happens on the journey. You could be just starting out, and you're in you're in a uh, in an incubator, and you've you've got those those people there. It, it it it's just a very organic thing. Got it, got it, Alex. This has been an awesome conversation, man. I, I really appreciate it. It's been uh, fun. Value reinforcement. No, I I I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. We threw a lot of buzzwords around, even <laughs> though. But but I mean, you know, we we did throw a lot of buzzwords, but I think there was a lot of you know, val- I mean, we, we make fun of buzzwords, right? But there's there's definitely something behind it that uh, buzzword usually gets created. Mm. And, and I think the concept that you brought up about re- value reinforcement is such a fascinating topic. And uh, and I, I'm, I'm really glad, glad that you, you did bring that to my attention, at least. I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to find it fascinating as well. But I want to just say thank you for, for coming on the pod and uh, and looking forward to uh, to the next round. Yeah, great to chat, and who knows where the where the past will cross into the future, and uh, maybe we'll all be realizing our value at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, thanks a lot, Alex. Beautiful, thanks so much, mate. 
This episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing and music arrangement also by Alexander Hipwell. Special thanks to Tina Wabe and Rod Hoda. We couldn't make this show without you. The show is hosted by Shaheen Hoda. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And maybe even share the pod with a friend if you loved it that much. Thanks again for all the support and looking forward to seeing you again in the next one.